to kind of start off to get us to get our minds wrapped around where I want to go tonight, this morning I was driving to the doctor. I had a really early doctor's appointment. Unfortunately, I have bronchitis. Woohoo, it's all good. I'm fine. Um, but I had to go to the doctor. And so I was driving there, and I'm, I'm uh, not speeding because that's not good. But I was driving at normal speed. I'm not kidding. I was driving normal speed. But I was close to being late. And so I was trying to think very strategically what route I need to take to make sure that I get there on time, right? Have you ever done this? Or, or maybe you've used the map, right, the map on your phone or whatever. Uh, you've used Waze and you tell them you're the pastor even though you're a driver. I know you all do that. But you're driving and so you, you're listening and then you look ahead a couple, a couple turns and you think you've got it memorized. And even though the map's right there, the map's there to help you. It's even talking to you, girl, male, whatever voice you want, doesn't matter. It's all there. And as you're listening, but you jump ahead, and you take a right because you thought the next one was right, but actually it was a left. The right was coming after the left, but you took the right before you took the left. And you find yourself going the wrong direction. And guess what happens when you were almost going to be on time because she told you exactly to the minute when you were going to arrive. Because you took a right turn instead of a left turn because you went too fast. You got ahead of the game. You found yourself in the wrong direction and therefore now you're late. That's, by the way, what happened to me today. And so what happens sometimes is we move too fast in life. We move too fast, maybe even in how we study the word of God. We move too fast in relationships. There's so many areas that this principle is relevant. And when we move too fast, what happens is sometimes we miss the turn that we were supposed to take. Or maybe the stop we were supposed to make or the exit we were supposed to take. And we find ourselves not in a never-ending journey that will never be resolved. Because we know that Syria and all those people will turn us right back around to the path just like the Lord will. But the reality is because we took that turn, it cost us some time. And so this morning when I was going to be on time, 8 o'clock on the dot, I ended up being there at 8.03. Not a big deal, but it helps with the story because I took a wrong turn. What I want you to see is that as you study the word of God, if you're not careful, if you don't take your time and ask good questions and really ponder and think and allow the Lord through the Holy Spirit to really show you what he's doing in the word of God, it's possible to find yourself in a similar place where you read something just too quickly and you didn't quite understand it and you missed the great truth and meaning behind it. And so hopefully through this series, that's what we'll cover. Now, what I want to cover tonight is this idea. We're coming off of our series of, of Exodus and then kind of ending with the Ten Commandments. Uh, really was a great time. I hope you all enjoyed it. I did. So if you didn't, I don't really care. I enjoyed it. So that's all that really matters. But I hope you did. And so as we navigated that, though, we covered a lot of the law towards the end. We covered the Ten Commandments. And so I thought it would be a great way to kind of start with the first question of this. And, and it's a question that maybe you've asked. Or maybe you've heard asked, or maybe none of that, but tonight you're going to hear it and get an answer for it for the first time. And here's the question. Do we still observe all of the Old Testament laws today? Now, if you've never pondered or come across that question, that may not mean a whole lot to you. But if you've studied your scriptures and you've come across some verses, you may realize that there is some confusion here. There are some things that sometimes it doesn't make sense. Do, do we still do that or, or not? And has that changed? Or it comes back up maybe in the New Testament, in the second half of the Bible, and you go, well, it says the same thing here, but then this thing doesn't show up, or this thing is more intense or less intense. And we begin to look and we go, hmm, okay, this is a little confusing. This doesn't quite make sense. And so tonight what I want to do is to help us to address that question. And the question again is, are the Old Testament laws and the commandments still valuable today? Is it something that we are supposed to follow still today? Now, why is this important? Because maybe you've had the experience where someone came up to you and said, yeah, 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 your Bible, huh? All your Bibles. Well, here's, here's what I'll tell you. Y'all are real quick to point out to all of those sexual sins and all of that stuff. 
But then what about this whole thing where you can't eat shellfish? Or you can't eat pork, translation for you guys, bacon. Or you can't do this, or you can't do that. You acknowledge all of these things, but yet you ignore these other ones. So I don't think you guys are consistent, and I don't think your Bible really is accurate because these things don't line up. They don't make sense. So therefore, I don't think your Bible is true. So really, you're studying something that's of nothing. And then they walk away, and you go, well, I, well, you, I, there's an answer. I just don't know it, all right? Or in your mind, you just go, please don't ever ask me that question because I don't know what I would say. When we think about it like that, we can realize, man, this case can be important. It can be helpful for believers, but it also can be helpful for those that are stepping into the faith or seeking the faith, looking into it to say, well, here's a problem. Let's figure it out. So all of that, now we're set up. Let's begin. So tonight, we're going to bounce all over the Bible, okay? Normally, I like to kind of stick in one passage, go real slow. This is not going to happen tonight. So if you have a Bible, and man, you're quick, I encourage you to follow along. And uh, if, if you're not, maybe take notes. And if you're none of that or you just are lazy, you can just look on the screen behind me or on your phone, either way. But I want you, as best you can, to kind of follow along as you track this. Because what I want to show you is a bunch of verses in the Old Testament and a handful of verses in the New Testament. And I try to link these two together and make sense of it all, okay? So we're going to go in sections. It's going to go slow. It's going to make sense. And all's going to be well. So here we go. Let's begin with this. I want to show you a couple of Old Testament verses that when you read them, you go, okay, I, I don't know if we're supposed to still do that or not. Or maybe you've never heard it or maybe you have. So let's begin with this. Let me read a couple. First, let's talk about pork. What does it say about pork or pigs in particular? Well, let me show you. In Deuteronomy 14, 8, it says this. This is all in the Old Testament. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat and their carcasses you shall not eat. Now, terminology in the Old Testament can be a little challenging because it's not quite how we would say it today. But in essence, what this is saying is you are not free to eat pig in any way. Not the outside, not the inside. Now, when we say pig, we can translate that to us to understand pork. That would include bacon. And then you go, wait a minute, you're cringing on my bacon eating. This is not okay. I already don't like this place, and I'm leaving as soon as he prays. All right? The reality is, this is a good question, because it's pretty clear in this moment of the Old Testament that there has been a, a strict law that says you shall not eat pig or pork. Let's keep going. Tattoos. Oh, you didn't think I was going to go there? Yeah, I'm going there. I'm five minutes in. <laughs> Leviticus 19.28. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or, the ta- or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Pretty clear, right? So all of you with tattoo, like, uh, 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 uh. let's keep going. Don't leave yet. We're not done. Now let's talk about... Um, priesthood, high priest. Now I'm going to read a passage from the New Testament because really this is a, an element that goes all throughout the Old Testament and I really couldn't find just one verse that helped us wrap our mind around it. So I'm going to read this verse from the Old Testament, but what it's referring to is this long period of time in the Old Testament where a high priest was standing in to make the sacrifices. So let me read this to you in Hebrews 9-7. This is all intro by the way, so don't freak out. We're going to, we're going to break all this down. Hebrews 9-7 says this, But into the second, only the high priest goes. There was only one person at this point in time. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, not without making an animal sacrifice, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Then we talk about animal sacrifices in Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness 
of sin. So we're talking about one person being able to access the presence of God, and only one person can make a sacrifice on behalf of his sins and the sins of the people. Then we look at circumcision. Some of you are like, this place is kind of weird. Yes, we are. Leviticus 12.3. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. That's it. This was a sign of how you were connected into the people of God. This was the physical sign that males would use to be connected and identified into the people of God. By the way, just for fun, on a side note, this whole eighth day was a particular eight days after you were born, that would be when circumcision was going to happen. I don't plan to talk about circumcision, but I want to share this with you because this is really cool. If you go look at medical or even speak with someone in the medical field that has uh, some background in this particular area, they will tell you that on the eighth day was a specific day that it would happen, and it was the perfect day because, and I don't know all of the details, but somehow a connection with how much blood a child would have versus how much they would bleed out. On the eighth day was the perfect day for circumcision to take place because because it wouldn't kill the child or harm them in any way that would go further. It would just fulfill the act. And so even today, medically, we can see that all the way back then when they didn't have doctors and all the, the intelligence that we have now to study this and to research this, God knew and set the people up for something that would be beneficial for them. So circumcision was a requirement, Leviticus 12, 3. Then, this is the last one, then we'll get into the meat. In the New Testament, in Romans 7, 6, it says this, which confuses everything. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, I showed you those verses. There's a ton more that we could have pulled up, a ton more topics that we could have looked at. What I want to show you is this. There are a bunch of things that were written into law, mandates of God in the Old Testament that today, if you read your Bible, you ask yourself the question, do we still do this? Have I been eating bacon every morning and I'm not supposed to do that? Is circumcision a mandatory thing? Like that's, that's even weird. That doesn't really make sense to me. Why would God do that? In the Old Testament, Versus the New Testament, we see these moments and they confuse us. And so what I'm going to show you tonight is really just four things that we can look at. It's really, really simple to help us understand this and bring it home. Now listen, I want to say one more thing. I know for some of you, you're, gonna, you're, you're already kind of going like, I'm not sure if this is going to be any fun. Maybe this isn't as exciting a place as everyone told me that it was going to be. But here's what I want you to see. These are the kind of things that you will appreciate understanding. If not now, then later on. So I want to encourage you to hang in there. Let's walk through this together. Let's get some understanding because God's very, very clear about how we move forward. First thing I want to show you, this is the only like heavy mental theological thing I want to show you. The rest are really simple to follow. But I think it's important I give you all the aspects. First, there's two views on how we look at the Old Testament law moving into the New Testament or what we call the new covenant coming from Jesus. There's two main views. There's a lot of subviews. We don't have time for all that. But there's two main views. There's the covenant theology and dispensational theology. There's two views. This is going to be really fast, okay? Covenant theology says that all the laws of the Old Testament still apply today. All the laws of the Old Testament still apply today. Unless they've been done away with in the New Testament. Every law that was put into practice in the Old Testament still exists today. Unless in the New Testament, after the coming of Christ, 
through the word of God that we have, it tells us that that no longer exists. So here's an example. Food. The eating of food. And we'll dig into this a little bit more later in the evening. But the eating of certain foods. We are going to see in a moment that the New Testament very clearly takes all of those laws and ceremonial rituals of eating of food and very clearly says that those are no longer mandated within the law. And so, yeah, right, all the bacon lovers were, and I did that for you bacon lovers, so you didn't have to wait all night to see if you could go home and eat bacon or not, or if you had to feel bad about what you ate all day today on your bacon burger from Wendy's, okay? And so... The covenant law, though, the covenant theology says that all of these apply unless the New Testament tells us not. Now, that's an interesting view because there's a lot of things from the Old Testament that don't come back up in the New Testament. And therefore, would be things that we would follow. And some of them would fall in these categories of, oh, I'm not sure about that. That's one view. The other side of this, kind of the flip side, is dispensational theology. And this says that all the laws of the Old Testament are done away with unless they are reiterated in the New Testament. One says they all stay unless the New Testament says it's gone. This one says they are all gone unless the New Testament brings it back up. So an example for us would be this. We've just spent a couple weeks studying the Ten Commandments. Nine of the Ten Commandments come back up in the New Testament. Which one doesn't? Anybody know? The Sabbath. Very good. Cheater. I'm just kidding. Very good. The Sabbath is the only one. Now, the Sabbath is referred to in the New Testament, but it's not given as a mandate or as something that we are asked to follow. Now, we'll dig into that in a second. But the reality is this view says that if it was in the Old Testament and it doesn't come back up in the New Testament, then it's been wiped away. It's no longer to be followed, no longer to be held over you, not a requirement of you unless it comes back up in the New Testament. So these are two views that more, maybe the more scholarly of the group would appreciate having and being able to kind of wrap your mind around. What are people saying? What's the majority of people saying? How do they break down? You might ask yourself for fun as we move through tonight. Which one leans to me? Do I think that they are all still around unless the New Testament tells us they're not? Or are they all gone unless the New Testament brings them back up? Interesting view. It's all you. Have fun with it. Now, to answer which one you are, let's look at these couple of things. And we'll, we'll do this quickly. But here's the first thing I want you to see. And this is very, very important. The laws of the Old Testament, they were written and established for the nation of Israel, not for Christians. Okay, let's let that sink in for a second. Let that sink in for a second. The laws of the Old Testament were put into place for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel, or the people of God, as we saw all throughout our study of Exodus, not for Christians. Remember, what's a Christian? Christian is a Christ follower. You couldn't have Christians before Christ came. So these were put into place for the people of Israel. Remember who were the people of Israel? They were the people that we saw God move out of slavery into freedom to then go establish themselves in a promised land, to then go live out in this new journey, this new life. God set them these things to help them navigate all of these areas. And so the first thing that immediately brings up some thought for us, some very interesting perspective, is that the, the Old Testament things were created for the people of Israel, not for the Christians. So that gives us a little bit of clarity. But that doesn't seal the deal yet, so let's keep going. The next thing I want to show you is within these Old Testament laws, there were three different types. 
three different types of Old Testament laws. Now, this may be the most important thing we'll look at. First, you have civil laws. Civil laws. Now, these laws were set up so that Israel could thrive as a nation. Okay? These were set up. Remember, Israel is now its own nation and worshiping community. When God freed the people of Israel out of the bondage of slavery, moved them into a new land, they set up shop and it was them. They are not only worshipers of God, they are their own nation. And so what God did was create civil laws for them to be able to follow. So they had some control, so they had some order, so the nation could thrive. What would it be like here if we didn't have laws? There would be mayhem, there would be chaos. There's chaos even with laws. Can you imagine what it would be like without? And so God was setting up first the civil laws to help them as a nation be able to thrive, be able to work together, be able to navigate through the different things that would come up. So the first element of this is the civil laws. These I would describe as they were time bound. They were time bound. They were just for the people of Israel at this specific time. Where is the gospel now? Is it just in Israel? No. The gospel has spread throughout all the na- almost all the nations, particularly here. We're not in Israel. We're not even close to it. We're almost on the other side of the world. And so now what was once in for one particular nation has now expanded out from one into multiple. And so these civil laws kind of dissipate because all of our different areas and all of our different cultures, nations, and languages are all very different. So the civil laws had a time bound to them. They were for a certain period of time. The second category here is the ceremonial laws. And these laws helped Israel to see how they would worship God and also how they would atone for sin in this period of time. And this is where the high priest, the animal sacrifices, kind of come back up. What was happening is God created a way that even though in the beginning, God, remember in Genesis, Adam and Eve, when sin entered into the world and there was now separation between man and God, even in that, God created a way that through the sacrificial system, through the one high priest that would stand in on behalf of the people, he would make a way for these folks to be, if you will, their sin to be covered by the sacrifice of animals. Now, let's pause for a minute. If you're an animal lover, you may think that God is very, very cruel for using animals. Well, first I would say it's much better to be animals than people first, okay? So sacrificing people was really kind of not, not in the picture. But the bigger thing here is that the sacrificing of animal was always the picture that the animals were innocent. And that was the point. What was it doing? It was painting a picture of what Jesus would have to do on the cross. That he would be the ultimate sacrifice, but that he too would be innocent. Remember, he didn't sin not one time while he was on the earth. And so God was painting a very, very specific picture. So even though it sounds very gruesome, and at times when you look at it, it is. What God was doing was creating a system for these people to be able to navigate. They were able to worship God. They had very clear instructions. These were all wrapped up in our ceremonial laws. Again, these are time bound. Why? Because when Jesus comes, which we'll talk about in a minute, he broke all of this apart because he's going to take the place of every animal and of every person that needed to be punished for their sin, which is you and I, because we know we're all imperfect. So if we have civil laws, ceremonial laws, and finally we have the moral laws. Now this would be what we just finished studying, the Ten Commandments. 
all right? And so the moral laws, these helped people. If y'all remember, we talked about this. I said this phrase over and over. They helped show the people of Israel how to live a life that was pleasing to God. How do we live, Lord? What do we do? What's right? What's wrong? Remember, they've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They haven't understood. They haven't had freedom. They didn't have any, they, they were just under the slave and the whip, if you will, doing whatever they were told. And now God's given them freedom, and with great freedom can come a lot of problems if you don't have a way to navigate. And so God creates the moral law. What this also does is show us God's, God's view on good versus evil, right versus wrong. Here's what's interesting with the moral law. God's character never changes. God's view of right and wrong never changes throughout the scriptures. So the moral law, though they were instituted at a time for the people of Israel, they also, in a sense, don't have a time bound to them because they are God's character, which is never changing. Which is why we see that nine out of the ten are clearly reiterated in the New Testament. So we have the three categories, civil, ceremonial, and moral. This helps us to see Two of these categories were what? They were time-bound. They were for a specific purpose at a specific time for a specific group of people. This helps us to understand why we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. And if you do, stop. Because that's weird. It's over. That system has been broken. This is why, this is one of the beautiful things, this is why no longer is it just one person that gets to enter into the presence of God, but all believers in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, which only came after Christ, now all of us have the ability to stand in the presence of God. In fact, you don't have to invite him in, he is already there. Now, you may not feel him, and oftentimes that's because we're drifting, not him, but he is always there. That is one of the most marvelous things of all of this. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel said there's a day coming when you're not going to have to go and find God, but God's going to live inside you. And they thought he was nutso because they'd never heard that before. In fact, most people were scared of the presence of God because only the high priest was able to go in there, and they were afraid of what might happen. And now, you and I live in a day when God lives inside of us. This is marvelous. This is also very convicting for many of us can you imagine we've said this before this isn't new but can you imagine you get into heaven and you're standing in front of just pick one Moses because we just talked about him Moses man what was it like what was it like to spread the sea and to walk I mean did you see like fish was the ground like what was, how high was the water? I mean, Moses, there's so many questions I have for you. This is so fascinating. Tell me, and he will probably, this is all hypothetical, of course. He will probably look at you and go, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if he'd speak like that. He probably would speak more, thou shall not do whatever you're saying. But he will say, that's all great. But tell me, what was it like to have God living inside of you? None of us had that. And he probably would ask you these questions just like you're asking, did you see fish? Did you see whales? I don't know if there's whales in seas or not. Did you see all these things? Was the water high? He's asking you, what was it like? Did you talk to him every day? Did you encounter him every day? Like, what, 
what did you even do? I know you didn't work. There's no way you could go to work or be distracted by some girlfriend because you had God living inside of you. You had the almighty creator living inside of you. Surely you spent every minute of every day talking to him and encountering him and asking him questions. And, and what was it like? And most of us would go, ah. Let's focus on heaven because we're convicted. Because the reality is most of us, we don't operate that way. Yet we have something that people in the Old Testament would probably give anything to have experienced. God was, in a way to them, distant. They had to work hard to get access to him. And now, through Jesus, the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit, you and I have access to God. We don't have to invite him here. You don't have to say, hey, Jesus, there's a chair here. If you're thinking, if you're feeling good, you got a few minutes, come sit with us. He's already here. It's here. He is here living inside of you right now if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. This is marvelous. So all of these things begin to come to play. Here's the final thing I want to show you, and this is, this is the biggest thing. Jesus fulfills the law. This is the answer to the question, how? We have some understanding of the when and the what, but the how. Watch this. In place of the Old Testament law, Christians are under the law of Christ. Matthew 5, 17 says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I come to fulfill them. What is he saying? Remember, Jesus lived the perfect life. He made no mistake. Why? Because he had to be the perfect sacrifice or the perfect lamb to go up on that cross to take our place so that we wouldn't receive the punishment for the sin, but rather he would take that on himself. He fulfilled the law by taking it upon himself. This is so important. And this is everything, civil, ceremonial, the moral law, all of it has been wrapped up in him, taken upon him. No punishment for anything you've ever done weighs upon you as a believer in Jesus Christ because Christ has taken it upon himself. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that all the, all the laws and the commandments are just done away with, we're gone, finito, for instance, the Sabbath doesn't come back up in the New Testament, so, so we're done with that, we don't ever have to do that again, Whew. we never have to have a day of rest, Whew. never get to just relax and rest, maybe just work seven days a week, man, this is great, right? Congratulations, now you know, you don't have to have a Sabbath anymore, you are free to, when we look at it, we realize, are we under the weight of having to do these things? The answer is no. But the reality is, as we look at these, we see that we have a good God that loves us, that wants to navigate us and take care of us. And so, though you and I are not missing our moment to be right with God because we don't experience a Sabbath, we miss out on a beautiful moment God has created for you and I. This is the difference. It's the heartbeat behind it. It's the reason. What is it? Now, what about the, the New Testament laws? Yeah, they were restated, reconfirmed, so we can be confident that these are things that God wants us to fulfill. But does that mean that if you lie, which 
almost all of you probably did today somehow, some way. Does that mean that no longer are you right with God? No, because praise the Lord, Jesus has fulfilled the law. So therefore, no punishment weighs over you. Are you beginning to see how the picture comes together? This is so important. Jesus has taken that weight, but there's been clear instruction laid for you and I that we would choose to uphold and honor the word of God. Jesus fulfilled it, but there's a pattern here for us to follow. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says this. This is from the New Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Does that sound familiar? Remember how we navigated the Ten Commandments? They pretty much all fall right into that little window. So what we're seeing is that it's particularly with the moral law, God was setting us up for how to live a life that's pleasing to him, but Jesus has taken the punishment. And the Old Testament, if you didn't uphold the Sabbath, do you know what could happen to you? You could be killed. In the Old Testament, do you know that if you didn't honor your parents, you could be killed? The room would be empty, by the way, if we did that. They don't operate that way. Now, by the way, they didn't kill children on a regular basis. We've talked about that before, so get the picture. But the reality is these things have been removed. Yet at the same time, is it not honorable and the right thing to honor your parents? Is it a good thing to not lie? You betcha. See, what God's done is laid a groundwork for you and I, but he's taken the pressure off. So does that mean that you and I just get to go live however we want? No, because what happens in the New Testament, watch this, when you become a Christian and the Spirit of God comes upon you, it is no longer that you have to follow the law to be right with God, but rather because you love God and because you're so grateful for what he did for you on the cross, saving you from sin, creating a place for you in eternity in heaven that you desire to please God. You don't have to be told and twisted your arm. You want to please God. And so you choose out of your heart and your own desire to want to follow him. What is the difference? In the Old Testament, they had to work and they had to sacrifice to be made right with God. And as soon as they made that sacrifice, sin entered right back in and they were not right with God. And it was a continual process that was never, ever ending because every day they sinned, another sacrifice, another, it was a constant process. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you invite me in, I cover all of your sin. I remove it as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't weigh over you anymore. You are now free. And now, because you are free, my desire, the Lord says, is that you would live in a way that would please me. Well, it's so simple, right? It makes so much sense. And isn't it beautiful how it takes the pressure off? God isn't standing there going, man, if you lie again, I can't wait to just give you that little smack and, yeah, that little just wait. No, but he says, I, I want you to honor me. I love you. I'm going to discipline you because I want to keep you in line, right? Just like your parents, some of your parents didn't discipline you. And that it answers all the questions of why your struggles in life are. I'm just kidding, maybe. All right? The reality is discipline's a good thing because it keeps you in line, right? God's doing the same thing. But, man, oh, the grace, the grace, the grace that overlays. Now, to end quickly, I want to go back to two kind of hot topics. One we already dealt with, but I'll, I'll cover in a second. Let's talk about tattoos for just a minute, because all of you were like waiting to see where we'd land. Here's the reality. This was an Old 
Testament ceremonial moment. Time bound for the people of Israel at that time. All right? And nowhere else in the New Testament that I could find does it bring this back up as something that you have to do, that you cannot do. However, and I say this with love because I don't have a tattoo, but my, all, a lot of my friends do. My wife has a tattoo. I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but no, I did. Um, but let me throw this out at you because if you haven't caught it, there's a heartbeat behind everything tonight. It's the heart behind the action. So, tattoos and bacon, there's our two. Our crux of the world, the young people's struggle. Let's start with bacon. Feel free to eat all the bacon and shellfish and shrimp you want because those boundaries are no longer on us as a way, listen, as a way to be made right with God. However, if you decide that bacon is not a good thing for you to eat because it's not a healthy thing for you to eat, so therefore you want to take care of your body, I'm, I'm trying to help, y'all, help you out, all right, then it's okay to not eat bacon. So if one of your brothers comes in tomorrow morning and says, no, you know what, I, I just, I really, I, I, don't, I don't want any bacon today. Don't look at him and go, no, man, the Bible says you eat bacon. You eat bacon. New Testament, you have, no, no, no. If you want to be healthy, be healthy. If you don't like bacon, don't eat bacon, all right? But listen, and listen carefully. If you ever say that you can't eat that because that makes you unclean, that makes you not right with God, know that one, you are wrong, and two, you are basically telling Jesus that his sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough, and that is never okay. So, to the people, and listen, this is real. This may not be real in this room, but there's, there are people out there that really uphold the Old Testament laws as a way because their heart is they want to please God. The heart's a good thing. But the moment we say that we still have to do this because it's what makes us right with God, that's the flaw. If you decide to not eat bacon, that's great. But if you're doing it because you need to be right with God, you have totally missed what Christ did for you on the cross. Let's talk about tattoos. Same thing. Hey, you know what? If you want to get some ink, great. But listen carefully. Here's what I'd say. Listen, here's what I'd say. Ask yourself two questions before you do it. Ask yourself this. Am I doing this because I'm not pleased with the body that God gave me? If that is in any way, shape, or form, why you want to do it? Translation, for those of you that are trying to wrap your mind around what that might look like. I think my arm would look better if it had this like really cool, I'm trying to like not bust any of y'all for like whatever you got, right? But my, my arm would just look better if I had this like really cool design coming around it. Listen, if you're saying that your arm would look better with that, essentially what you're saying is I'm not pleased with what God's given me. Now listen, you're not sinning, okay, hear me. But I'm asking you to think about the heart behind it. The second thing would be of what benefit for the kingdom would it have? If we're living as believers in Jesus Christ, trying to, to work through this idea of being sons and daughters of God, to honor and glorify the God at the most high, don't do anything that would distract from that. You don't need to look better because of a design, all right? And you don't have to put a verse on your wrist or a cross. If you want to, 
great. That may be a wonderful conversation starter, and I think that's awesome, and I know that's what it's been for my wife. Great. But that's not something you have to do. And if you look at that and you go, you know what, for me, I don't really feel like I need to do that. Don't let your friend come in and go, no, New Testament says you can get tattoos. So everyone gets tattoos, so you better get a tattoo or you're going to be the only one that doesn't have it. No, that, that's not accurate. That's not accurate. But if you look at someone and say, hey, because you've got that ink, I just want you to know that you've broken the law that God set and therefore you're, you're not right with God. You would be wrong. And you would be second-guessing what Jesus did for you on the cross. So we don't judge tattoos. But my challenge to you would be, before you get one, just think about the why. Think about the heart behind it. Doesn't mean it's wrong. But I think we can always look at it in that way. What does the heart say? Now some of you are like, oh, I got a tattoo and I got like a huge design and I'm trying to cover it up right now. I walk out. It's, it's, that's okay. It's okay. All right? I'm not talking about the past. All right? I have a lot of friends that have designs on their arms. It's all great. I'm not, I'm not challenging you here. That's not the point. But I want to help you. I want you to think through things. And so let's think about the heart behind it while you're doing it. I've seen a lot of tattoos that have led to a lot of wonderful conversations, and that's a great thing. That's a great thing. But it's about the heart. Listen, here's what I want you to see. Jesus has fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled. We are no longer in a, in a religion where we have to do all of these things to be right with God. And if we mess up once, God is looking at us, and he is mad at us, and he is disconnected. from. That's not how this works. God has chosen to love you. In fact, when he sees you, what he sees is Jesus covering all the imperfections of your life. But out of the heart for what Jesus has done for us, we choose to uphold really those moral laws. Let's say, I'm going to follow this because, God, I want to honor you. That's what matters most to me. So in short, we are not stuck to any of the laws from the Old Testament. We're not married to them. But there's a handful that have come up in the New Testament which give us really good indication to say these are things that we need to follow because it's been clearly asked of us in the New Testament. As for the other things of the tattoos and the pork and all the different things that come with that, you know what? There's some, there's some grace there. But I would always say to you, ask the heartbeat behind it. Why are you doing these things? Don't ever let anything get in the way of the sacrifice that God has made for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. Last verse for you and then we're done. Titus 2, 11 through 12 says, the grace of God has appeared. That's Jesus. Bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. When I was growing up, my mom was a single mom. There were three of us. I was the oldest, uh, and I happened to be the worst. I made her life difficult. I made more bad decisions than I made good decisions. Uh, my sister used to ask my mom, when is Chad going to go to jail? It's a weird question. But in her mind, that was what she saw. Growing up, my mom as a single mom and me being the oldest set a lot of rules that she was navigating herself. How far is too far? Do I, do I put this boundary on him? Like, what's too late? What can he do? What he can't? She was navigating like I was navigating as a young man growing up. She was navigating as a single mom trying to figure it out on her own. My mom put a lot of extra restrictions on me when I was growing up because she just was figuring it out. Because of that, I probably operated 
extra harshly and extra aggressively against the system because I felt like there were so many things I couldn't do and everybody else got to do all of these things and la la la. And I was, I was a terrible kid, terrible kid. And then I got in some big trouble and I moved out of my mom's house and I moved into my dad's house. My dad said, listen, you don't have free reign to do whatever you want, but you're an adult. So I'm gonna lay some ground rules for you. When you're gone, I wanna know where you're at and I wanna know what you're doing. So in case something happens, I know where I can find you. Second, when you're home on Sundays, we're gonna all go to church together. If you're working, I understand, but I'd like for you to try to be off work when you can so that we can go to church together. You do those two things, and I think we're going to be okay. It was amazing to see. Now, granted, hear me. My mom, if you're watching this, relax. (laughs) My mom was doing everything she could the right way and the best way. She was. My dad had a different approach, though. And he simply said, here's two boundaries. You stay within those boundaries, and everything else is yours. I felt free. Because I felt free, I wanted to respect the system. I wanted to, and I'll tell you what, it was through those moments that one, going to church with my dad landed me here because it was this church that he was making me go to. But then I started to go to because I kind of liked it. And then I started to go to because I wanted to be here. Then I started serving because I couldn't believe what was happening. And then God eventually brought me on staff. What happens is when we got a little bit of freedom, I got a little bit of freedom. The pressure came off and the desire came out. In essence, it's not a perfect analogy, but this is what's happened for you and I. All of the laws, all of the mandates, all of the things that we have to do to get with God, to be right with God, have been removed. And Jesus says, I have covered it for you. But out of the desire of your heart for what I've done for you, I hope that you'll honor and respect and live out a way that brings glory to me because of what I've done for you. Jesus has paid, has paid the price, fulfilled the way. You and I are free, but not free to live however we want. We're free to live a life that's pleasing to God, and that should be the desire of our hearts.